listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm Mike Gaston, and I am your host. Thanks for joining me. This is Sunday, January 30th, episode number 115 of The Currency Podcast. Glad to have you guys along. I appreciate you guys joining me. So much going on in the world today. I could do <laughs> I could do a five-hour show, honestly, if we were trying to commentate on everything that's going on. We've got just all kinds of stuff, uh, and I'm tempted to try to cover a lot of it, but I think I want to focus in today on, on two things, and these two things are really related. And the, and, the, and the first of the two is this Canadian trucker protest. Now, I'm not going to get too much into the details. If you're listening and you're like, what Canadian trucker protest, my friends, you are, <laughs> well, you're under the sway. Of, of the evil overlords. Uh, the, the media has kind of tried to black this out. Um, you've got like live uh, roadway cams in Ottawa across Canada shut off so that you can't see. But right now there are thousands and thousands of Canadian truckers that have gone across the country in a convoy in protest of the way that the Trudeau government has been handling the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, scamdemic. I mean, they, they and these, it's very interesting because a lot of these truckers are vaxxed. Now, they're, now they're, they're kind of mouthpieces on the Canadian media and even the American media saying, well, these are just a handful of Russian agitators trying to undermine our democracy. But when you've got just thousands of thousands of truckers and then even more thousands and thousands of, of just Canadian citizens on the streets supporting these truckers as they convoy across the country and make their way. And they've made their way into Ottawa, the, the country's capital. This is not a few Russian agitators. This you, you can't you know, this this is like the famous it's like the favorite fallback. Russia is like the favorite villain of the left. It's as if they haven't woken up and realized that that was so 50 years ago. Is Russia a competitor nation? Yes. Does Russia have interests that go against American or North American Canadian interests? Sure. Every country, America, the United States of America and Canada don't always share the same interests. We share a border. It's probably one of the world's longest and most peaceful border. Uh, for many years, although we have had a few incursions across those borders throughout the years, nothing in, in contemporary modern history. Um, but, you know, 1700s, I think maybe even, I don't think 1800s, but 1700s, we've had a couple things that have happened. Maybe a war of 1812. I don't think so. Anyway, uh, those history buffs out there that just know off the top of their head, please shoot me an angry email and let me know how wrong I am. But the thing about uh, any country is you're going to have conflicting interests. This happens because you're two different entities with two different peoples and two different desires and goals and so on. And sometimes you're going to bump up against each other. But like for the left, Russia has become this boogeyman that is the favorite bad guy of all their fairy tales. Every fairy tale involves evil Russia, evil Russia. Meanwhile, the real boogeyman, China, is stockpiling wheat, uh, shutting down supply chains, stockpiling arms, militarizing its whole society, so on and so on. But uh, we're not worried about that. So, 
you know, the left is blaming Russian agitators. This is this is just it, it's so ridiculous. I guess if if you're dying to just eradicate any cognitive dissonance that you might be feeling over uh, seeing such a huge outpouring of support to to end these draconian, totalitarian and unnecessary measures, these mandates, these curfews and so on that Canada and parts of the U.S. are imposing upon its people, well, then you might be inclined to accept that this must be Russia somehow agitating to destroy our, our great union. But the fact of the matter is the, the Canadians, these truckers, are out en masse and a lot of these guys are coming to the camera saying, oh, yeah, I'm vaxxed. I'm, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not anti... Like, these are not... You, you can't just kind of explain these people away as fringe lunatics. What they're saying is we're standing in solidarity. We saw the same thing in Italy months ago, where Italians were coming out and burning their vaccine passports, saying, I refuse, even though I am vaxxed, and I have the right to go about the country however I see fit, I refuse to allow a government or governments plural to impose this upon everybody. And so even though I got vaxxed because I thought that was right for me and I want protection and all that stuff, I'm burning the passport because the passport is a bridge too far. The passport is a bridge too far. And that is our theme today. Our theme today is going to be transportation. So right now we're talking about these Canadian truckers. Like I said, I'm not going to get too much into the Canadian trucker side, but I think this is a perfect frame, a perfect illustration, maybe, if you will, to talk about a, a bigger a bigger issue here. So these truckers are out and they are shutting down the roadways. Now, they're very organized. They're very civil. This is civil. They put the civil and civil disobedience. They're not burning anything down. They're not smashing windows. They're not toppling statues. They're not, you know, burning uh, their politicians in effigy. There are some rabble rousers amongst them, interestingly dressed in all black, uh, their faces hidden, uh, trying to get people, egging them on to start doing violence and to start breaking laws. A little suspect, if you ask me, almost like an intelligence operation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, Mike, the government would never do that. Oh, no, it would never do anything like that. The government, it's so good and so nice, especially when liberals are running the government. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So they're out there protesting, but they're organized. They're making room for emergency vehicles to get back and forth, but they're shutting the country down. And they're saying essentially to the government, they're besieging Ottawa and making Ottawa and the rest of the country and hopefully the world come to terms with their presence. They're saying, look, this isn't just a few of us. This isn't just a few stupid truckers over here, you know, a couple of hillbillies that are angry about, you know, Justin Trudeau. Of course, I don't know what a hillbilly uh, Canadian sounds like. I've met them. I just don't know that I can do. I don't know what I can do the accent, eh? Uh, you know, we don't like that Justin Trudeau character, eh? You got a problem with a problem. I have to. I have to practice my Canadian accent. But uh, this is the country. This isn't just a few people. This is the Canadian nation's truckers. They are all out on mass. They are all out on mass. And, you know, there's some, I see some tweets, people complaining, oh, the honking, it's making me scared. They're honking their horns. I can't sleep. It's terrifying. Yeah, you are the kind of person, if you're terrified by a peaceful protest, by the nation's 
truckers, the people that deliver goods across your nation, the people that actually make it work so that you can have your Pokemon Go uh, character figure delivered to your door because you pushed a button from your mother's basement in between gobbling down Cheetos. Yes, these are the people that make that possible for you. And they are saying enough is enough. It might be okay for the Cheeto-eating basement dweller to sit there uh, and do nothing, not contribute to society, stay in their home and consume and play games and goof off. But for the rest of us that have to actually keep this country going, this is enough. It's enough. All of us now, and I'm speaking for me, not for them, all of us now know many people that have or have had Omicron, and we can all see with our own eyes our firsthand experience, it's not that bad. Yes, there are people still getting sick. There are people still going to the hospital. There are even people still dying as they do from the flu and every other uh, virus and bacterial infection that, that human beings get. When you have a compromised body, when your system is weakened, anything, anything can take you down. You can die from the common cold, kids. This is just life. You can die. You're going to die. I promise you. This is a promise I can make you. Welcome to the dark, morbid hour with Mike. I promise you that you will die. This, this, no one is getting off of this planet alive. <laughs> yeah, you could be an astronaut, but you're still going to die. You're going to die somewhere. So the fact being, yes, we're all seeing face firsthand, face to face. Omicron's a thing. I know people have had it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. No one's dying. This thing's over. Now, you have countries like Great Britain and Ireland just coming right on Scotland. We're done. All done. No more COVID nonsense. We're done. You have other countries clamping down even harder. And I would argue, and I think a lot of folks, anybody listening, I mean, Canada has been one of the more uh, aggressive prosecutors uh, and, and aggressive, uh, how would I say it, aggressive uh, users of emergency powers. I mean, they've really just taken this in hand and said, we're just going to dictate your life to you. And we'll let you know when this is done. You don't get a say. There's no, there's no say. It was interesting to me that Trudeau was able actually to get back in office, quite frankly. I mean, he had that snap election. I say it's a snap election. Look, I'm, I'm an American. I'm not really clued up as much as I would like to be about the parliamentary system, but he called an election last year and I thought for sure, boy, this is a bad move. And interestingly, during that election time period, he even doubled down. He, he behaved very aggressive. He didn't lighten up. He didn't make promises like, hey, we're almost done. Just let me finish this for you guys. You know, I'm a steady hand at the wheel here. Just keep me in there and we'll get you to safety. He clamped down even harder. He, he, he was unrepentant and being unrepentant was able to get reelected. I found that like stunning. I was really, I have to be honest, I was surprised. But what that tells me is that there are enough people in Canada that are just living in fear still. Uh, how, how many years are you going to live in fear? It's, it's, we're, we're two years in. Like how long are you willing to live in fear? It's just stunning to me that, that people are at this stage still willing to live terrified not wanting to go out, not wanting their neighbors to go out, not wanting to take the mask off. And I almost wonder if some of it too is like, it's, it's convenient. A lot of people just don't want to engage. They like being able to sit at home. They like working from home. They don't want things to go back to normal. 
They want to progress into something different. I don't know. It's just kind of a strange thing. So if you haven't heard about it, do a little bit of digging, you know, get off of the mainstream media, spend a little time on alternative media, do a little digging on the internets, and you will see that there is a massive protest taking place right now. And this is a game changer. What's interesting too, Justin Trudeau initially kind of went into hiding, meaning, oh, no, he thinks he was exposed to COVID. He doesn't have it, but he, he may have been exposed, so he can't come out in public. And then he's left the Capitol. I mean, he has fled the Capitol. There's no other way to say this. Justin Trudeau has fled the Capitol. Think about that. Truckers from all over the Canadian countryside, and a lot of them from uh, America as well, crossing the border in. And, and they've descended upon Ontario, the capital, Ottawa, and Trudeau has fled the capital. Think about that. Now, these truckers aren't threatening violence. They're not threatening to kill the guy or to string him up. I, I mean, he's not fleeing because a, a militia has broken through the army forces and has besieged the capital with artillery fire. Now, this is what the media would like us all to believe. But the fact of the matter is these are just polite, hardworking, blue-collar Canadians saying, knock it off. Knock it off. And Trudeau's a child. He's a coward. So what's he going to do? He's not going to stand up to him. He'll, he'll, he will. I mean, he'll use violence to his benefit. I guarantee you this will get violent, but it won't be because of the truckers. There'll be some excuse. There'll be some inciting incident. But the truckers aren't going to go away. So we're talking about this, and this this could very well overthrow. This could topple the the Trudeau premiership, his government. When I say overthrow, I don't mean that the trucker is going to overthrow him, but this could be the kind of event that that puts the lie uh, to test, and it's going to crumble. I mean, the Trudeau premiership is based on a lie, and his behavior is based on a lie, and the way that Canadians are being treated and the fear that the Canadians are living under, it's all a lie. This could put it to the test, and if this doesn't stand up to the test, it will crumble. And so this could be the beginning of the end for the Trudeau premiership uh, and and for the nonsense in Canada. That's wishful thinking. Here's what I want to talk about, though. I want to transition from this. So we're using this as an example, but you look at how the Canadians have been able to leverage their streets, the streets, they're taking to the streets to protest their government. This is why countries often will impose martial law. They don't want you taking to the streets. What happens when people take to the streets? Well, <laughs> you know, governments have a hard time keeping control and they can make all kinds of excuses for your safety and so on. These people are lawbreakers, they're Russian, you know, troublemakers, whatever. But the streets are important. Transportation is important. Why is that? We use the word commerce in the American language, the English language in America, and, and we tend to think of commerce as, as trade, as interacting with each other financially. And, and that's absolutely correct. But there's a deeper concept of commerce being this ability to go back and forth, whether it's goods going back and forth, whether it's finance and money going back and forth, whether it's ideas going back and forth. Now, roadways are an important component of being able to interact with each other. It's one thing when you're in a little village and you just kind of walk down the street, you meet at a coffee shop and begin protesting the king. And over time, you you know publish a couple pamphlets. And the next thing you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of an uprising in your village. But in the kinds of societies that we live in, that we find ourselves in, the roadways are critical. 
And one of the behaviors, one of the tactics, I will say, which even using the word tactic kind of implies, uh, it kind of lets you know my opinion on how these governments have behaved but, and, and the motives behind how they're behaving. But one of the tactics of the governments has been to isolate us, to separate us from each other. Now, I think initially all of us were saying, look, yeah, when there's a disease going around, you kind of have to isolate, you have to quarantine, all this kind of stuff to avoid the spread of the disease. So you could make a bit of an argument. Let's say that COVID was, you know, as deadly as they said at the beginning, which I mean, even that is up for argument. We don't need to get into that today. We have to prosecute every aspect of this. There are just so many facets to this thing. But let's say it was as deadly as as it seemed. And so they quarantined. Well, typically in the history of mankind, we have not put everyone under quarantine. What you typically do is you isolate the infected. You know, when you're walking your dog and you have a dog and you have a little doggy baggie so that if your dog does his or her business on someone's lawn... You try to be a good neighbor and you use the little baggie to pick up the business, the, the, the excrement, and you tie a little knot and you carry that baggie home and you throw it in your garbage bin. And if you know that if you do this from time to time, there's always the risk, not from time to time, there is always the risk when you pick up that dog excrement that you might get some on you. The bag could have a rip in it. You could be a little... Cack handed, uh, <clears throat> as the British like to say, which is actually a funny, <clears throat> a funny phrase to use in this instance, and and mess it up a little bit, and you stumble, you touch it. Long and short of it, you always risk getting some of it on you, unless you're like rubber gloves and everything. When that happens, if you do get animal excrement on your hand as you're out for a walk with your puppy. What do you do? You try to quarantine that hand. You're not scratching your face with that hand. You're not holding the leash with that hand. You're not touching your iPhone or your AirPods. You're not adjusting them in your ears as you're listening to a podcast with that hand. When you see a neighbor coming the other way, you don't shake hands with that hand. You're not putting that hand in your pocket. You're kind of trying to keep that hand out there away from your body, away from other people. And you're probably a little embarrassed, so you want to keep it out of sight somehow. You're just trying to minimize that hand's exposure to you and society. That is the quarantining of that hand until you can get to a facility to wash your hands. It's quite simple. This is basic human behavior. This is quarantining 101 for individuals. And this instinct of ours to quarantine that hand is what you do in a society. So even from the very beginning, our leaders, our governmental leaders, worked hard to isolate us from each other. They didn't just isolate the infected. They isolated us all. Now, initially, we said two weeks to flatten the curve. We don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we all kind of bought into it. Some of us rolled our eyes, but said, okay, I'm willing to play along. A lot of people even said, like, this isn't going to be two weeks. Well, here we are two years later. (laughs) We're still in the two-week curve flattening mode. I don't know. So the idea being that we all got quarantined. I mean, you went through Christmas, you went through Easter, Thanksgiving, all these amazing holidays with deep 
deep spiritual and cultural significance, family bonds and ties, all broken. People had to leave sick loved ones at the doors of the hospital. They couldn't be with them as they passed away. They couldn't engage their elderly loved ones. Everyone was so isolated, cut off from one another. The emotional and just mental and physical impact of this isolation alone was devastating and continues to this day. And people go, oh, it's just a mask. Why can't you just wear a mask in public? It's just a mask. You, you tried to light. Oh. But even, even not seeing someone's face at the store, when you're shopping, I mean, we all know that the masks don't really work. The, the data's there. I mean, you, you can sit and argue about the masks all you want. I'm not going to argue because the data shows that it's just there. It doesn't work. Fauci himself told us they don't work. Well, he just he lied to us because we need to protect the mask supply for the the clinicians, you know, well, yeah, that was the N95 masks or whatever you call them. Nobody's wearing those in public. The masks that people are wearing are not the medically uh, certified masks. We're all just wearing these throwaway paper masks. It's a joke. They don't work. But even when you're shopping, we're isolated. Even when we're standing in the same aisle, we are not making eye contact. We're not smiling at each other or frowning. We're not nodding. We're not like we're just ignoring each other's presence. And there's a lot of people that want this. They like being isolated. These are antisocial and socially stunted human beings. This is not healthy. This is not a mode for operation. These are people that will be very active online, interacting, arguing, telling people what's true, being snarky, being so clever. Oh, you're so clever. You're so witty. Oh, you're so smart. But they couldn't hold a normal conversation face-to-face with a flesh-and-blood human being in the room with them. And so we were just so isolated. So when you look at this, you kind of expand this out and you think about roadways and railways and our ability to kind of transport, to interact, to have commerce, to have intercourse and interaction. And yes, I said intercourse. Look it up, okay? (laughs) Social intercourse, folks. It, it eliminates our ability to interact. It eliminates our ability to share ideas. It eliminates our ability to, to, to have a sense of belonging in place. It eliminates our ability to, to find identity in a group. We can't coordinate together. We cannot act together as a group. It's really easy to take out one person, it's really hard to take out multiple people. This is why the British are famous in their colonial era for the dictum that you divide and conquer. Hello, you divide and conquer. You isolate people from one another. You divide them. You get them fighting with each other. You get them isolated from each other. You, you know, you watch in the wild even how a predator goes after prey animals. So prey tends to hang out in herds. A predator will attack the herd. And as the herd moves together, the prey animal will try to, or the predator will try to isolate one or two or three off from the herd. If they can isolate, if they can get uh, one of these deer to kind of split off from the herd of deer, 
then, then that predator's eating dinner, folks. It's going to win. It's going to win. And so when you're isolated, you are vulnerable. When you're isolated, you are depressed. When you're isolated, you are, you, you're, you're helpless. There's not much you can do. But when you're together, when you're integrated together, and yes, you go, uh, Mike, you're saying that we're a herd animal. No, but we are a social animal. I mean, our, our greatest achievements are our societies and what our societies are capable of doing. How do we do those things as individuals, as isolated? No. As people interacting and relating to one another, whether it's through marriage, whether it's through family, whether it's through neighborhood, whether it's through race or religion, there's so many different ways that we relate to one another and that we build these amazing societies. These societies are powerful. This is where our institutions come from. These institutions provide mediation. They provide safety between us and the state. They protect us from the abuses of the state. As soon as you start breaking these things down, when the institutions can't happen anymore, you can't go to church, you're not allowed to come together. And even when you do, you have to sit six feet apart and wear a mask. And when the church is over, you need to be ushered right out. No hanging out in the foyer, just chatting. Now, those of you that have had to wait for a mother who is talking in the foyer, the foyer, after church, you said, I'll be just a moment. I want to talk to Sister Smith for a minute. Those of you that have spent hours waiting for mom to stop talking so that you can go home and, and make some chicken tendies, well, you're celebrating right now because you're like, that's over with. Thank God that's over with. <laughs> and you, some of you might be listening and saying, well, Mike, you're exaggerating. A lot, of those, a lot of those strictures have been lifted for various parts of the country. In Canada, they haven't been, but a lot of them, we can go to church. You know, We're allowed to do all these things. Why are you complaining? You're acting like it was last year. Well, we're getting there, kids. But if we look at how the government behaved and is behaving in America and Canada and Europe and some of these other countries, you start to realize that one of the things, one of the main things that the government has been focused on has been isolation. They don't want unsupervised, unstructured, uncontrolled interaction between individuals. They don't want groups forming. They don't want groups forming. The only way that we are allowed to come together is as a collective. And that's under the banner of everyone getting the vaccine. There's those of us that have been vaxxed and those of us that are less than citizens, a la Macron and his vile, vile statements a few weeks ago. Calling... French citizens that have not been vaxxed, less than citizens, and promising to, quote, piss them off, to frustrate them, that he will badger them and piss them off, that that is his focus, and he will badger them to the end. That was his focus. Less than citizens, and I'm after you. So you can become part of the collective. You can lose your identity. You, can, you, you don't get to have intercourse, uh, social intercourse. You don't get to engage. You don't get to share ideas. You become one of us by submitting to the medical procedure of getting the vaccine. And once you do that, you're allowed to have your consumption, consumptive focus life back. But those of you that dare want to come together around Christ around Allah, around, you know, whoever your God is, those of you that want to go worship in the house, 
together with your co-religionists, those of you that want to celebrate marriages, those of you that want to spend time with your family members of different generations, free to love, hug, engage, have a good time, and yes, even argue with them over a turkey drumstick. Those of you that want to do that, well, we can't have that. You're the criminals. You're the selfish. You're the evil. These governments have been focused on isolating us. And one of the things that this Canadian trucker protest shows is that we have infrastructure available to us to come together. And they are leveraging this infrastructure to come together in massive numbers to make a massive statement, a nationwide statement saying enough is freaking enough. We're done. You're done, Justin Trudeau. You're a coward and you got to stop. We're not leaving. You are stuck in the room with us. We're not stuck in the room with you. You're not controlling the room. This is our room and you're stuck in the room with us. Now, what are you going to do? Well, he, he showed his colors. He's run away. And then don't be surprised if he comes back with some toadies, henchmen, and thugs. And shame on any law enforcement, any law enforcement that goes after these truckers. This is the voice of the people. How does a government get a mandate to govern? You know, these, these leaders love to crow about democracy. We've got to protect democracy. That's why they'll be able to throw the Russia. Oh, the Russians, they're going to destroy our democracy. Well, what is democracy? It's the will of the mob, the demos, the people. And the people are on the street saying, we're done. And what does Trudeau do? Well, he blames on the Russians. The Russians are trying to undermine our democracy. Really? How fascinating. So what's interesting here, this leveraging of the highways and the byways to shut down the nation, to make the leaders come to terms with what is going on and what the will of the people is and come to terms and own their behavior, their abuse of power and their abuse of the Canadian people, is that the U.S. Department of Transportation recently received hundreds of billions of dollars. They're receiving hundreds of billions of dollars over the next five years from the quote-unquote bipartisan infrastructure law. This was the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was put through Congress last year, voted in. I don't remember exactly the date it got voted in. I could look it up. But I want to say it was like late November, early December that uh, this ridiculous thing got approved. Now, if you remember Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, I don't know how you say his name. He's a disgusting human being. Yes, he's very clean cut and everything. He's a disgusting human being. He's out of integrity with his, with his sexuality. He, it, I just, I, he's such a leftist. He's so progressive. It's just really gross. And he's part of the Soros group of kitties that, you know, Soros has got his group of kitties. Trudeau also part of that group and so on. Uh, I want to say Jacinda over there. Is it Jacinda? What's her last name? Is it Aaron's or something over in uh, New Zealand? There's a whole crop of young people. I think uh, Buttigieg is one of these guys, but but Buttigieg is in charge of the U.S. De Department of Transportation. And when that infrastructure bill went through, he was one of the ones that the media was really 
kind of pimping. It's like, cause he was, he was grinning from ear to ear. This guy was like the cat that, that ate the bird. I mean, he's grinning from ear to ear and just crowing about all how happy he was to get all this money and the amazing things he was going to do with it. What's interesting to me is this just got released recently into not much fanfare, surprisingly, but the U.S. Department of Transportation just released uh, its National Roadway Safety Strategy. This was released in January of 2022. I got it just a couple of three days ago. I read this uh, 42-page document from cover to cover. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can read it yourself. But essentially, you start connecting the dots. You see how the left is trying to... You see how they're trying to control discourse. They're trying to control behavior. It's very clear. And I said this when Trump was president, but it's very clear to me right now that the left does not ever want to relinquish control. I think Trump put put fear in their hearts. And I don't mean because he's so amazing, but I think that they saw an aspect of the U.S., the people and the, and the people's will that scared them. And they thought if if once we get Trump out of office and we get control, we can never let go. This isn't, we can't just be on this kind of slow boat uh, to China with our agenda. We really have to ramp things up. COVID has allowed us to ramp things up and we need to, we need to push all the way to the end for this thing. We need this country and this world to become uh, uh, a progressive utopia. And so we're going to inflict <laughs> like a locust, like the locust that we are, our vision for America upon upon the country. And we're going to do it pretty aggressively. So when they pass the infrastructure bill, which infrastructure is pretty innocuous, all of us, we're kind of jaded. I say kind of, we're kind of jaded. We all know that there's a lot of pork in these bills and we all expected that there are a lot of money going. I mean, it was a multi-trillion dollar bill, the biggest ever. And we knew that pork was going to go to various players and there'd be some corruption, lots of corruption in there. But at the end of the day, it's infrastructure, it's bridges, it's roadways, it's railways and so on. You go, okay. I mean, and, and you know, I was listening to right wing, left wing, you know, center aisle folks just making an argument like, look, it's infrastructure and America does need to invest in its infrastructure. Okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, I, I just, on, on, principle. Yeah, you got to keep your roads and bridges going. And and we do have some rough infrastructure issues. That's what happens when you're a massive nation like ours with pretty, um, pretty sophisticated. It's like stuff over time needs maintenance. But let me tell you what's really interesting about this. They couched this whole uh, national roadway safety strategy. Uh, so, so this is like, we're going to take the money that we were given and what we're concerned about is safety. We're concerned about safety. And so everything that we're going to do going forward is really going to be about safety. Is that an interesting, I mean, when you think of infrastructure, depending on your worldview, you could say we want to make infrastructure better to facilitate the economy. We've heard those, that kind of theme for many years, not just with roadways, but anything like they just always would kind of frame things from the perspective of the economy. Everything we did in America was to make sure the economy was healthy. You need a healthy economy. And when the economy is healthy, everything else is better for all of us. So, you know, that's, it was always about the economy. There's been a, there's been a fundamental, a fundamental shift over these last two years. And I think this is due to how the left has been observing 
our the the people's reaction to COVID and to their and to the left's manipulation of the message, they've realized something. They've got an insight. And the insight is that we're scared shitless about our safety. We're terrified to lose our safety. We're terrified to feel unsafe. Now, this has been building for a while. There's been a demoralization of the country, uh, endless wars, terrorism, economic hardship, uh, health threats and scares, Ebola, Zika, etc. And you've got a population who is scared. It feels insecure. It does not feel secure. And let me go back to this idea of isolation. Where do you get a sense of security from? Where does a child get a sense of security? A child feels secure when it's part of a healthy, loving family. This is why when couples divorce, they work very hard if they're good, if they're, I mean, look, it's not good to divorce, but I'm just saying like, you've got couples that realize, okay, we somehow couldn't make this marriage work. We wrecked it, whatever the situation is, but we've got kids. We have to make sure that they feel loved. We have to make sure that they feel secure. Now, I think everybody would argue, I mean, there, there might be a fringe person, but everyone listening to this show would argue, it's good for a child to grow up within a healthy family. But when you find yourself, and this is the case with marriage, you can't always control how your partner behaves. Imagine that. Uh, you're vulnerable. So people find themselves in marriage. Marriage falls apart. You, even if it's just you, let's say your partner, your your ex is a horrible human being. They're off running around with different people and just acting like an idiot. You're working very hard to try to create a stable, loving, safe environment for your kids, no matter what their age is, whether they're two years old or uh, 18, you're trying to make sure that they feel secure. We find security in our families. We find security as we mature in our social groups. We find security in our neighborhoods. We find security in our job and work environment. We're always finding security amongst other people. Now, there's a movement right now. You'll see this on the extreme right of these guys. Um, it was a MGTOW, Men Going Their Own Way. Uh, it's an acronym. You can, you can do the math on that. MGTOW, Men Going Their Own Way. But the idea being that women have treated me so badly. Uh, I, I'm swearing off women. I don't care about women. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do the hustle culture, make lots of money. I'm going to be materialistic and self-centered. And if I have a relationship with a woman, it's really just going to be to take. I'm going to take my physical pleasure from her. I'm going to take my status from her. I'm going to do whatever I want to please myself. It's not about her. Screw women. So, so you see there is a reaction when people feel like uh, they've been hurt or whatever, that they will go the other way. But but that's not a way to find security. That's I guess what I'm saying is this is a, a dysfunctional example of someone trying to find security and self-centeredness. But most of us look at that, even those of us that have been, that are maybe a little older, that have been through bad relationships, look at that and go, that's no way to live. That's no way to live. There's no security in that. And I don't mean security like, I'm scared. I, I don't want to be hurt. But a sense of well-being, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of purpose. You're not going to find that just in yourself being isolated. No, the opposite happens. You find yourself feeling vulnerable, lacking identity, weak. You find yourself in, in this very undesirable situation. That's why these MGTOW guys, in my opinion, my little Dr. Phil pop psychology here, they're, they're overreacting against it. It's like, 
oh, uh, this woman hurt me. I'll never be hurt again. I'll never trust another woman. I'm going to work out and I'm going to become a finance bro and Bitcoin myself into being a billionaire. I mean, it's just like this overreaction. It's a, it's a very immature reaction. You find the same thing with people that are in the world that feel overwhelmed by the world. And so they get crazy about science because I think science gives them a sense of control and mastery. I can know the data. I can know the science. The science tells me this because yes, they feel vulnerable. They're in this giant, mysterious, sometimes hostile world. This is the world is hard. It's full of pain and disappointment and so on. And so rather than have a hermeneutic of beauty where they're trying to interpret the world through a lens of beauty, and I, I, I'm, I can't get into this too much. I want to talk at some point in a future episode about a hermeneutic of suspicion versus a hermeneutic of beauty, but that's for another time. But they had this, this instead of saying I have a hermeneutic of beauty, I, even though the world is scary and overwhelming and mysterious, I'm looking for beauty. I'm looking for it in my relationships and my work and my purpose. They, they, they move to this kind of scientific, uh, devivified approach to the world. They break everything down. They deconstruct it all. They datify it. They categorize it. They abstract it all. And that gives them a sense of power. Now I know. I, I know better. I understand how the universe works. It's just a, it's a coping mechanism. But a, a healthy human being finds their safety and security amongst other people. That's what society is all about. You take personal responsibility. It's not that it's a collective. You take personal responsibility for your behavior. You learn the values of your culture and you say, hey, we believe in working hard. We, you know, you look at certain cultures, they work together, they help each other, but they're not, they're not saying, uh, you know, you have no identity in and of yourself. You, we're going to work. If, are you a neighbor and you're sick? Look, we all do this. If you know your neighbor's sick, at least we used to, uh, we, we make some food. Now we're terrified to do that. We're terrified to knock on our neighbor's door for fear that they might think that we're going to infect them. And people are like, I don't even want food in my house. I, I have family members that are, I don't mean immediate like uh, wife or kids, but I have relatives that are still to this day when they go shopping at the supermarket, bringing everything home and washing it all. I'm talking canned goods, frozen goods. They're washing it all because they don't want to bring disease into their house. I mean, that's the level that people are thinking right now. We're so cut off from one another. We do need safety, but there are healthy, historic, human ways that we find safety that lead to fulfillment, that lead to growth, that lead to a good society and a good life. But what's happened, the, the progressives have identified over these last two years, and we've been leading up to this, and maybe they've known all along, I'm not at the table for these meetings. They've identified that we're scared shitless about our safety. We don't want any pain. We don't want any hardship. We don't want any sickness. We don't want any deprivation. We don't want any lack. It's all about consumption, pleasure, and safety. And so what... The U.S. Department of Transportation, led by Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and forgive me, I don't know how to say his name, and I could give a rat's rear end. I just, I'm so sick of these people. He's come out with this national roadway safety strategy, which is essentially, this is our plan for implementing the infrastructure bill. Now, I've said all this to, to tell you why this matters. You look at the Canadian truckers and their ability to go to the streets and drive 
to make the will of the people known, to fight for the people of Canada. And you look at how important this is. It's historic what is happening. This is a historic happening in Canada right now. But if the Democrats, and they will, if the left, the progressives have their way, you will not be able to do that anymore. So essentially what Buttigieg is saying is, and he says, this is how he couches it. I'm going to, he's got a letter that kind of opens up this piece. I'm not going to, uh, maybe I will, but I'm not going to read everything in this report. But he just opens it up, the opening letter of this plan, this strategy. Our priority at the Department of Transportation is to make our transportation system safe for all people. Right now, we face a crisis on our roadways. Almost 95% of our nation's transportation deaths occur on American streets, roads, and highways. Well, gee, transportation deaths, and these are roads and highways, how you transport, and they are on the rise. An estimated 38,680 people died in motor vehicle crashes in 2020. In the first half of 2021, an estimated 20,160 people died, up 18.4% compared to the first six months of 2020. And every year, millions more are seriously and often permanently injured. Those lost are family members, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors. Remember Joe Biden talking about this in the debates with Trump? Oh, you're losing your family members, your friends. They are the people who build, maintain, and fix our roads. They are, our f they are the people who deliver critical goods and those who risk their own lives to keep us safe. The status quo is unacceptable and it's preventable. We know it's preventable because bold cities in the United States and countries abroad have achieved tremendous reductions in roadway deaths. We cannot accept such terrible losses here. Americans deserve to travel safely. You deserve this, kids, to travel safely in their communities. Humans make mistakes. And as good stewards of the transportation system, we should have in place the safeguards to prevent those mistakes from being fatal. Zero, listen to this, folks, zero is the only acceptable number of deaths and serious injuries on our roadways. Zero. They're saying now that the only number they will accept is zero deaths and serious injuries. This National Roadway Safety Strategy describes the major actions we will take to make a meaningful difference over the next few years. At the core of the strategy, and he breaks it down into the segments, at the core of the strategy is a department-wide adoption of the safe systems approach. So this is going to be adopted across the whole department, U.S. Department of Transportation, which focuses on five key objectives. Safe people, safer roads, sorry, safer people, safer roads, safer vehicles, safer speeds, and post-crash care. Now, folks, you hear this and you go, well, that's that's fair. I mean, they're talking about let's make people safer, let's make the roads safer, vehicles safer, speeds, and post-crash care. That that on its face would be fine, but and we don't have time to get deep, deep, deep into this. But as you dig into this report, it's nuts. It's nuts. They've got statistics. Well, first of all, they talk all about inequity. It's it, there's the the whole death thing is inequitable. Much many more black folks, people of color, are dying on the streets than whites. Uh, but then on the other hand, the majority of U.S. deaths on the roadways uh, have a white male involved. It's like it's like really. I mean this the. the they're taking critical race theory and applying it to the roadway safety problem. 
And so what they're saying is they're setting a standard saying that we will not accept one roadway death. They are essentially empowering themselves to do whatever it takes to eliminate any roadway deaths. You see, we've kind of accepted this mentality that you can't have deaths and that we can do anything. We can shut down the economy. We can throw whole communities in a tailspin. We can put private businesses out of business. We can outrageously, obscenely enrich the folks like Jeff Bezos and the Walmarts of the world, all to avoid people dying from a super flu, which is now spinning itself out to be a pretty mild flu. That we can do whatever it takes. We can shut down a country. We can strip you of your religious freedoms. We can strip you of your freedom to, to go out and have a run, to go shopping. We can strip you of your freedom now to even have a job if you don't get the vaccine. Why did that even have to go to the Supreme Court? What level of crazy are we living under right now where the idea that you couldn't hold your job unless you got a vaccine, that the president of the United States demands that you get a vaccine? so that you can hold your job. And folks, here's why this whole roadway safety thing matters. How did they implement that? Did they implement it just coming right out saying this is from the president's desk? No, they used OSHA. Is OSHA uh, uh, accountable to the electorate? Did you and I vote OSHA in? Who are these people running OSHA? What authority do they have? Well, apparently they can send armed people to your company and shut it down and arrest you if you break OSHA mandates. They can just come into your workplace at any time and conduct audits and searches and they can do whatever they want. Why? Because they're an unelected, unaccountable group of bureaucratic thugs that get to strip you of your liberty as a human being and as American. And if you think for one minute that this national roadway safety strategy is about anything other than empowering an unelected, unaccountable, bureaucratic, bloated arm of the United States government, empowering them to do whatever they damn well please in the name of safety, if you think it's anything other than that, you're deluded. You are delusional. You are living in a fantasy world. You have to read this thing. I, I, I know I went long. I mean, we're already 50 minutes in or so right now. I, and I want to go through this a little bit more. I'm not going to wrap up right now, but I'm just telling you, you've got to go through this. And, and you don't have to read it with that, like, you know, skeptical of an eye. You just read through this thing and you start seeing the kinds of things that they're talking about. But they're saying that they're demanding that we have no more roadway deaths. Well, what does that mean? What kind of control do they have to have over us to get to zero deaths? What kind of authority are they taking for themselves? Did you, did you elect them? Uh, did you decide? Did you demand that there are zero roadway deaths? I'm not demanding it. Like, I, I want the roads to be safer. I, I moved from New York State down to South Carolina, love South Carolina, love being here. But I got to tell you, the people, they're, the, uh, the driving's a little different. There are a lot of people on the roads that are, that are uninsured, unlicensed drivers. And, and I've watched people do crazy things. I've watched people cut across four-lane highways or just do things that I would consider erratic and that would easily cause a death. You know, so as a guy who rides a motorcycle, I'm a little, little less confident out there on the bike because it's like there's just too much 
random idiocy. Love you, South Carolina, but we got a problem here on the roads. Now, that said, New Yorkers had their own problem, even in upstate. I mean, people would run red lights all the freaking time. Everybody's pushy. Everybody's arrogant. Everybody's hostile. They're in that wheel, and it's like me against the world. You kind of get in this mindset. Uh, What I like about South Carolina, people are a lot more polite. They're not in a rush often. Sometimes they are, but not often. Um, They're willing to let you into traffic. I had to get used to that. It kind of threw me when I was behind someone who stopped to let someone in. I was like, whoa, it's okay, slow down. You got to be ready for that. But on the other hand, I've been let in traffic and it's like, thank you. What a blessing. Thank you. Thanks for making my life a little easier. And it's really nice to be able to let somebody else into traffic. So there, there's some wonderful things down here, but uh, not the safest drivers. That said, have any of us empowered the government to eliminate all road deaths? Is this really an issue for the government? You see, this is what happens when we as individuals refuse to take responsibility for our own behaviors, when we say, you know, like the New Yorkers, I'm going to run this red light, I'm running the light, I'm running the light. When, I, when you don't know how to have two drinks and say, you know what, I either need to stop drinking and wait a while or I need to let somebody else drive. When you can't take responsibility for your own behavior, then the government says, well, I'll step in. No problem. We got a problem because when we don't take responsibility for our behavior, society becomes difficult to navigate. It becomes hard when everybody's doing whatever they damn well please. Libertarians take note. You like this idea of people's doing whatever they want. It's unworkable because what people want uh, is often at odds with what everybody else wants and it's a mess. I don't have a problem with speed limits and traffic signals and all that jazz. It just facilitates the, the, uh, the, the, the national transportation, the commerce, the, you know, the intercourse and all that kind of stuff. So, boy, I keep using the word intercourse. That's kind of new for the show. Um, <laughs> I'm using it from the more classical sense, not the uh, procreational sense. So when we don't take responsibility for our own behavior, when we refuse to govern ourselves, then we must be governed. And I think societally, we, you know, we've kind of laughed at and mocked and gotten rid of a lot of the values that we would use to govern ourselves. And so we've, we've eschewed anything that, that, that looks like underpinning ideals and values that, that are classical. And so then you go, well, uh, since it's every man for himself and everybody's so self-centered and values have gone out the window, then, then it's kind of ugly out there. It becomes kind of like that um, Darwinian red in tooth and claw, it's survival of the fittest. Well, those of you that aren't fit enough start crying foul, like, oh my gosh, I'm getting overwhelmed. You know, these people are just overpowering me because it becomes about raw power and, and, and ill behavior and there are no consequences. So then the government steps in and goes, well, we got to stop this. It's just, you know, it's the same thing with people that would come to work sick before COVID. It would piss, piss me off. It's like, why are you coming to, you're sick. Why are you here? Or, or these, you know, families that you got them, everybody's out working and the kids are in daycare. And so rather than say, look, I got to stay home because the kid has a fever, you know, they'll dose the kid with some cough syrup, knock the fever out for a few minutes and drop the little, little, little Petri dish off, the little monster off so that, you know, you can go to your job because heaven forbid, you know, you get in trouble with your boss. It's about, it's more important that, that you're getting that revenue than it is you're staying home and being a parent for your kid. So people are very self-centered and they don't, do what they should morally do. You have an obligation, you know, so these arguments, it's like, well, you need to get the vax because you have an obligation to society. So this is what happens when people don't know how to just self-govern, self-regulate, then the government steps in and says, well, I'll force you. I'll force you. 
But I don't know who of us said to the National Road, uh, to the U.S. Department of Transportation, we want zero deaths. No one wants any deaths. But the presumption, at least for me, has been that's on us. I mean, yes, let's improve the roads. Let's we, we pay enough in taxes. My gosh, let's improve our roads. Let's maintain them. You know, let's keep the traffic signals. Let's show a little bit of respect for our fellow travelers. You know, uh, if you're on the airplane and you're behind me and it's my turn to pull my stuff out of the overhead bin and depart the plane to exit the plane, don't body me out of the way just because you don't feel like waiting. Show a little bit of consideration on the roads. Show a little bit of consideration how you behave. When you don't do that, that's when the rules come in. And so the left, I think, is doing a couple things. We've got one dynamic of where everybody doesn't seem to want to take responsibility for themselves. We've got another dynamic where everyone is terrified for their safety. And so they come out and say, no worries, we're going to get zero deaths. Well, how do you think they're going to do that? Do you think they're going to do that with some just really cool, cute jingle ad campaign like we used to do in the 80s? Just say no to drugs. Do you think that's what they're going to do? You think they're just going to do some type of, well, we just have to get people thinking about this more. No, we have the technology and capability right now to strip every freaking decision out of your hands. You assholes that want uh, driverless cars, and forget my language, I'm just upset about this stuff. Everybody wants the convenience, but nobody understands that there's always a price for that convenience. You give them driverless cars. I mean, you know, I love... What Elon Musk is doing in Tesla, blah, blah, blah. But every level of technology that you're adding to your car, and look, my gas-powered, uh, my diesel-powered BMW, it's a, they're all high-tech cars. I mean, I, I'm not trying to kid myself here. Everything that we add is a convenience. Every technology that makes it wired and connected and all this kind of stuff allows them, the totalitarians, the utopians, the welfare statists, to to control us that much more. They can kill switch the car. They know exactly what you're doing, when you did it, how you did it, where did you go? How fast did you go? How long were you there? Where are you right now? And they can control you remotely. Heck, you bought something on iTunes, you paid for it. And then iTunes, Apple can just decide that's not your property anymore. And they, they just delete it off your phones remotely. What are you going to do? That's just a small example. And so they know that we are terrified right now, that we are just besotted with safety And why wouldn't we be? Because they have isolated us. They have broken down the institutions like family and the church and everything else and our entertainment and our education and everything is telling us it's all about us. There's no hope in the world. There's no sublime. There's no transcendent. There's no life after this one. It's all about you. And you've got no, you've got no family. You've got no people. You've got no nationhood. In fact, to want nationhood, to want to be a people is considered evil today. You're a Nazi if you want to have nationhood. And so by stripping everything away, people feel vulnerable and they find themselves in a society where people don't govern themselves. And the government says, we'll make you feel safe. We're going to eliminate all deaths. And just like they've done with COVID, like at this stage, we're two years in, they could have very easily said, oh, they could have said this a year ago. Hey, COVID's still a thing. People are still getting sick, but we've kind of figured this out. The health system, we've got the vax. I think if you do all these things and people have learned, we all know now that's dangerous. So wash your hands. Don't lick doorknobs. If you're sick, you have these symptoms, stay home. Here's what we're asking. Everyone would have complied. People have just done it to do what's right. Because we, But they could have opened the countries back up. 
the governors and governments could have said, we don't deserve these emergency powers anymore. Or if we, if we're going to keep them, we have a, here's our plan. Here's the roadmap. We're ramping down at such and such a date. We're giving up this such and such a date. We're giving up that. Like they could have returned back to normal. We could be there right now, quite frankly. And with Omicron, yeah, it's everywhere, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's a paper tiger right now. There's no teeth to this damn thing. It sucks. I mean, getting sick always sucks, but this thing's not destroying human civilization as we know it. We are, but it's not. So if, if it were a matter of them just saying, we were happy to kind of let this go, you don't need to wear a mask all the time, all this kind of stuff, then, then okay, fine. But clearly, they, they, and they could have easily done that, and they could have been good governors. They could have been good leaders. It's not that they were letting us down. They would have been doing what was right and good for humanity by letting go of their authority and emergency powers and abuses. Another thing they could do is turn Fauci over to the courts, but that's another story. So they haven't done that. And now the next story here is going to be zero deaths. So here's what they want to float in. I want to, I want to get to this. I've been kind of ranting a little bit here. You know I love you guys, and I appreciate the love you give me back. I get some nice emails, by the way, from you guys. I got a couple nice emails. Um, one fella said he, he'd heard an episode. He was on a, a trip with his boss, actually, and his boss brought up the topic that was part of the episode. It was the... Um, it was the uh, uh, plant-based tyranny. Uh, I was talking about the, the uh, KFC fake tendies. And uh, he said listening to the episode kind of equipped him, so he was able to bring up some interesting points and in talking to his boss. It really worked out well for him. So see that, kids? If you listen to the currency, not only you, uh, will you have insights that no others have, but you will probably get promoted within your organization. It just happens. It's magic. So I appreciate that note. But get some great notes. Thank you for that. But I've gone a little long here. I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of this stuff that they're trying to roll in here. So just basic safety, you wouldn't be surprised about. Um, but they start saying, here's a headline, a header, subhead on page 11, opportunities to simultaneously address safety, equity, and climate. So not only are they going to try to keep the roads safe, but by the way, while we're doing this, we want to make sure that we're dealing with equity and climate on top of it. We're going to keep you safe. We're going to make the roads equitable and we're going to make the climate better. So, so they're just taking all this power for themselves. And they list out in some of these charts like American Indian, Alaskan Native fatalities, you know, black or African Americans. There's all these charts showing how a fatality affects that community differently. Um, and so these people, American Indians, Black Africans, Hispanics, Latinos, they're much more vulnerable to street fatalities. They die more. And then when they die, it's more important when they die than when a white person dies, essentially. It, it, it's more, there's more of an impact when a black person dies to a community than when a white person dies in a community. They bring in things like, so they bring in equity, they bring in things like uh, the climate crisis, and they start picking apart some of the problems. And so they're taking on for themselves the authority to begin to change the way you and I are able to transport ourselves. The freedom that you take for granted, the ability to hop in your vehicle, hop on a train, hop on a bus, go across town, do what you got to do. They're taking that under their purview. You don't have, just like you don't have the freedom right now 
to, to do what you want when it comes to the virus and the pandemic, they're saying, well, because of road deaths and because of inequity and because of the climate, we're going to take this away from you too. And so as we're looking at Canada and we're seeing the Canadians leveraging their highways and byways legally to let the government know that enough is enough and to push back and to try to hold the government, the Justin Trudeau government accountable for its, its out of control abuses, our government is now putting in hundreds of billions of dollars over the next few years to take technological control over you, to take racial control over you, to take climate control over you and your ability to move about the country. And they don't need to run these through Congress. They are an extra congressional position. It's a cabinet position under the president with hundreds of billions of dollars at their disposal to change the way that you and I move about the country. Now, if you say, well, don't worry, Mike, it's only going to be for federal roads, you know, but for state level roads and local roads, no, you know how this works. They've got, they've got, they've got billions of dollars that they're going to hand out. I want to say it's like 50, 50 billion this year. They've got billions of dollars that they're going to hand out to each state, but you know how those handouts work. Yeah. You're going to fix your roads, but you're going to have to put in place these race-based initiatives. You're going to have to put in place these climate-based initiatives. So if your state says we're not interested, well, everybody else is getting billions, billions and you're going to sit there getting nothing. Your state's going to become like a, like a backwater. So you're going to take that money, but now you're going to have the federal hooks in you. They want to change the way vehicles and technology works in the vehicles. They want to have data systems. Uh, so so um, while airbags and seatbelts work together to protect people inside motor vehicle when a crash occurs, the next generation of motor vehicles will increasingly have the technology necessary to prevent certain crashes from occurring in the first place and to mitigate harm to those outside of the vehicle when a crash happens. Several advanced driver assistance systems, ADAS, A-D-A-S technologies, are known to help prevent and mitigate impact crashes. So they talk about all that kind of stuff. So they can hit the brakes without you hitting the brakes. They can swerve the car, all that kind of stuff. But in addition to that, they also want to add lots of data capturing capability. They're saying in this document that they want to add all kinds of technology that's capturing data about you as a driver and communicating that back to some mothership somewhere. They want to have real-time information, real-time information on what you, excuse me, on what you do. Think about that. They're, they're, they're going to know everything you do. It's a little spooky. They want to impose safer speeds. And again, if you think about the car and if they're able to add technology, these augmentations to the car technologically that allow them to mitigate accidents and so on, uh, they can also control your speed. So they want to get safer speeds. That means that let's say you want to speed up a little bit and they won't let you. They're just going to control the car. One of the big things that bothered me, and, and maybe this is because uh, I'm, a, I'm a white male, but um, they're showing that white people, white males, the way they couch this, I should say, not that they're showing, the way they couch this, it's almost like, I shouldn't say almost, the way they state it is that white males are the main problem on the roads, that white males are responsible for 
most of the road deaths out there. Now, I, I don't have access to their source material. I mean, they're kind of putting statistics out there. I can't see the source material to, to verify. You know, how, you know how data is. You can interpret it so many different ways. Uh, it might just be that white males are on the roads more, or maybe that not white males cause, but white males are involved in more deaths. Maybe it's things like UPS drivers getting hit. They could be out delivering a package. And if a preponderance of the people that are vulnerable are white males, then yes, more white males would be involved in these road deaths. But the way that they state it, it you one would infer from the statement, which I think is purposeful, that white males are responsible for these. So what kinds of laws and rules will they put in place? The way they say it, by the way, 70% of drivers involved in fatal crashes in 2019 were men. Sorry, so that's just going after men in general. I, I think there's, I may have miscopied that. I think it's white men. But, but they're coming after specific racial and sex groups in order to get zero deaths. And so I think... I think here's the issue that I'm having with all this, and we'll wrap it up with this thought. We need the ability to interact. We should be free to travel about, to go shopping, to, to go to work, and so on. We've seen how the left has leveraged these organizations like OSHA, these, these departments like OSHA, to impose upon us severe restrictions to our ability just to have basic human rights, meaning to be able to go out and work and, and care for your family. And people, if you say, well, just get the shot, that's coercion. You're essentially forcing me to take part in an experimental drug and put it in my body against my conscience. You're, you're demanding I do something to my body against my conscience. And it's a reasonable hesitation. This is a, this is a experimental drug. It doesn't matter how many people say, no, it's fine. It's, it's experimental. It's new. We really don't know. And quite frankly, it's effectiveness kind of sucks. You're out there getting all your boosters. You have to admit to yourself, this thing sucks. So we're coercing people using these, these outside the accountability dynamic governmental departments like OSHA to, to impose a restriction of freedom to become more and more totalitarian. And now the Trojan horse has, has been safety when it comes to the pandemic. And it's the same thing now. It's the same Trojan horse. It's all about safety. We want zero road deaths. Nothing more is acceptable than zero road deaths. But inside that Trojan horse is, is racial animosity, critical race theory, it's climate change, it's health issues. All these things will be used against you and you will not be able to live your life as anyone would desire, anyone. This isn't like, well, we've had you know, a good run, but it's time for mankind to grow up and stop being so consumptive and so destructive, et cetera. The good life that most people want, they want to be able to take, they want to have a family, although we're kind of changing people's th thinking around that, but people just want to have a family. They want to love someone. They want to have children. They want to raise that family. They, they want to enjoy a level of material success. They're not asking for the moon. They're not asking to denude the rainforest and so on. They just want to find fulfillment and purpose in life. People may be confused as to what a good life is. People may be confused as to what leads to fulfillment, but ultimately people are trying to find what is called the good life. They want human flourishing and fulfillment. 
And the government is more and more stripping away from you and away from me our ability to find that happiness on our own. And they're telling us that you may not congregate, you, you must be isolated and we'll let you know when you're allowed to move about. We're restricting your behavior and your movement right now because of COVID. And now even more so with this Trojan horse coming out of the U.S. Department of Transportation, this National Roadway Safety Strategy, they are going to reform, they're going to transform the human society, the American society, I shouldn't say human, the American society. I guarantee you that this initiative is going to the strategy. And this is their playbook. You can read it. You can see what they're doing. If you look at what we've been doing and what we've been experiencing over the last couple of years, and you read this document, you can see this is the progressive left taking advantage of the hundreds of billions of trillions of dollars that have been approved by Congress to use it against you and I. They're going to limit you. They're, it's just one more way of stripping you of your ability to pursue life as you see fit. They will strip it based on your race. They will strip it based on your sex. They will strip it based on your age. You no longer have the freedom to govern yourself. You no longer have the freedom to move and act and do as you will, as you see fit. You no longer have the freedom to even choose how you'll contribute to society. They will let you know. My friends, this is not good. And there's no accountability. They don't have to put this through votes. They don't have to ask for permission. They are the authority that now can dictate to us what it will be like to move about the country. Local roads, municipal, state level, federal transportation. It's done. We have got to hold these people accountable. We have got to change the way that we do what we do. We have got to change the way that we are being governed. This is not working. Those of you that are pro-America, which, you know, I'm pro-America, but don't forget, this was an experiment. We always talk about the American experiment. And we got a little cocky years ago and crowed about how the experiment was so successful. If you listen this far, I'll throw this out there for you listeners that have hung in there all the way. I will put on the table, maybe the ex American experiment is proving to be a failure. Maybe the basic ideas of the individual and the kind of post-enlightenment liberal thinking that put together our uh, Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, maybe those things are flawed. Maybe the very seeds of our own destruction are, are, are planted within the very concepts that we hold so dear. Maybe democracy isn't the answer. Maybe the individual isn't the answer. Maybe this is what you get when you base your society on cons consumption and individualism and materialism and scienceism. The things that we're so proud of in this country are leading to our destruction. And this inability to govern ourselves, inability to come together as a people, is allowing these departments, these cabinet level authorities to put out strategies that are going to strip us of our ability to even protest when the time comes to even if you don't fall in the right group, you may not be allotted the, the right to go shopping. You may not be allotted to go to work. And if you think this is crazy thought, crazy talk, well, take a look at the last couple of years. Who would have thought that OSHA would have been the department that they use? I, I think of OSHA as like, hey, are you using that ladder properly? And are you wearing a hard hat? 
They strip people of their ability to feed their families. People have lost their homes over this. They've lost their livelihoods over this. 20, 30-year careers destroyed. People just gutted. Families destroyed. I mean, over what? Because they didn't get a clot shot. Over some unaccountable but very powerful department, it had to go to the Supreme Court to be struck down. Well, how many times is that going to happen? You can't play defense all the time and expect to win. We have to have a serious conversation about democracy and societies based on the individual because this liberal vision, this progressive liberal vision of the society, it's not working. And I guarantee that this new safety strategy is a Trojan horse and what comes out of it is not going to be good. So, Because I'm going to leave a link to this in the show notes. Take a look at it yourself for yourself. It's um, quite interesting. We'd love to know what you think. If you do read it over or even if you don't, if you just have some thoughts based on this uh, broadcast, do me a favor, get in touch. Just go to my website, mikegaston.com, M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. Uh, there's a contact form. Make sure to sign up for my email. We're doing kind of a cool well, what I think is cool, uh, series, just kind of informal thoughts on, on metaphorical maps and uh, and meaning. So kick me, uh, sign up for that, kick me a note on that, and I'll get you, uh, you'll be in the queue. <laughs> it's been a long day already, huh? Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all your encouragement, all your support. I hope that God richly blesses each and every one of you. I appreciate you as a listener. I want nothing but the best for you. So know this, I love you all, and I will catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you.